A change in focus, shifting from treatment to prevention of perioperative pressure injuries, by Diane B. Kimsey. Abstract. Hospital-acquired pressure injuries are a patient safety concern and can be costly for healthcare organizations. A multidisciplinary team of senior leaders, managers, nurses, and educators from departments that care for perioperative patients created an evidence-based perioperative pressure injury prevention bundle that includes skin and risk assessments, visual and electronic health record cues, prophylactic protection of at-risk skin, communication among providers and leaders regarding patient risk and injury throughout hospitalization, staff member education, compliance audits, root cause analyses, and wound care team follow-up. The prevention bundle resulted in a 50% reduction in perioperative pressure injuries the first calendar year after implementation, and a zero incidence rate for perioperative pressure injuries for at least a two-year period. This article discusses hospital-acquired pressure injuries related to the perioperative setting and outlines the full perioperative pressure injury prevention bundle. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, has identified 10 hospital-acquired conditions, HACs, that are non-reimbursable. These include high-cost, high-volume conditions for which the hospital must give the patient a diagnosis-related group assignment that carries a higher payment if the condition is secondary to the principal diagnosis and reasonably could have been prevented using evidence-based practice. Hospital-acquired pressure injuries, HAPIs, are a concerning HAC, and as of 2008, CMS does not reimburse facilities for stage 3, stage 4, and unstageable pressure injuries. The costs associated with these injuries may be as high as $70,000 per incident. However, CMS withholding of reimbursement for the treatment of HAPIs has not resulted in a reduction in their occurrence. Although most HAC rates decreased, the incidence of HAPIs increased by 6% between 2014 and 2017, causing an estimated 119,000 more pressure injuries and 4,900 more deaths than the 2014 baseline rates. The Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, AHRQ, estimated that the additional cost to treat HAPIs during those three years was $1.72 billion. Hospital-acquired pressure injury prevalence in acute care settings has been reported to be approximately 10%. Their effects on both patients and hospitals is significant. The length of hospital stay can more than double for patients who develop AHAPI, and those patients are significantly more likely to be readmitted within 30 days. Additionally, Mortality rates are 11.2% higher for inpatients who develop a HAPI and 15.3% higher for inpatients who develop an HAPI within 30 days of discharge. Patients with varying stages of pressure injuries have reported feeling stress, anxiety, and pain, particularly during treatment. Even stage 1 perioperative pressure injuries can be painful postoperatively. Surgical Patients and Pressure Injuries Perioperative pressure injuries can increase the cost of surgery-related hospital stays by an estimated 44%, 
and may add approximately $1.3 billion annually to health care costs in the United States. Analysis of national patient discharge data from 97% of U.S. community hospitals from 2011 to 2012 found that 3.5% of patients undergoing major surgery developed a pressure injury. Other data at that time shows the incidence of perioperative pressure injuries ranging from 4 to 45%. In a 2011 study, 111 surgical intensive care unit patients developed pressure injuries. 52.3% were stage 3, stage 4, unstageable, or suspected deep tissue injuries. The HAPI was present until discharge or death for 54% of patients. A 2015 National Pressure Ulcer Advisory Panel, NPUAP, webinar described a perioperative pressure injury as one that occurs in tissue that is subjected to pressure during surgery and is detectable within 72 hours of the procedure. However, one study found that most pressure injuries associated with time in the OR occurred five days after the procedure or later, rather than during the immediate postoperative period. A clear understanding of how a pressure injury develops is important to implement preventative measures. Prolonged pressure results in ischemic tissue damage when blood vessels are compressed and the blood flow to tissues is reduced. Shearing forces from opposite parallel sliding movements also cause deformation of deep tissues. Although ischemic injury occurs slowly, shear causes deformation in tissue destruction within minutes to hours. Thus, preventative interventions also should focus on preventing shear, not just prolonged pressure. Friction also contributes to pressure injury. Risk factors All perioperative patients are at risk for pressure injury because they are immobile during the procedure, unable to feel pain caused by pressure, friction, or shear forces, and unable to change position to relieve the pressure on a particular area. Studies correlating the length of operative or other invasive procedure and pressure injury development are inconclusive. A recent study focusing on sacral pressure injuries in critically ill surgical patients found that a shorter procedure duration increased the risk of pressure injuries. However, other studies report that the risk of pressure injury increases up to 48% for every hour after the initial 60 minutes of a procedure. Patient risk factors for perioperative pressure injuries relate to comorbidities, physical status, and procedural variations. See sidebar 1. The Monroe Scale and Scott Triggers are OR-specific tools that can be used to evaluate both intrinsic and extrinsic risk factors. Pressure injuries often are not apparent by the time a patient is discharged from the perioperative area, and OR staff members are not always informed when they are detected later during a patient's hospitalization. A root cause analysis, RCA, is essential to determine the etiology of a HAPI. Personnel conducting the RCA should inform perioperative services if they discover the injury originated in the OR. Otherwise, OR staff members are not able to address the problem. Intradepartmental communication is essential. Some surgical patients are admitted through the emergency department, ED, or have undergone an interventional procedure before undergoing their procedure in the OR, 
and may have developed or begun to develop AHAPI during that time. One study found that 6 out of 58 patients admitted to the hospital through the ED, 10.3%, developed a stage 1 or stage 2 sacral pressure injury. A meta-analysis found the incidence of pressure injury occurrence in the ED to be 6.3%. In another study, 99.2% of admitted patients who developed AHAPI had an ED length of stay longer than two hours. Procedural interventions also may contribute to HAPI development. Researchers reviewed 17 medical records of patients who developed HAPIs and found that 13 of the 17 patients had undergone multiple procedural interventions during their hospital course, including cardiac catheterization, radiological procedures, and surgery. Perioperative personnel should consider a patient's time spent in the ED and on interventional units, for example, interventional radiology, endoscopy, and his or her multiple transfers during transport before entering the OR when determining pressure injury risk. The prevention landscape has evolved in perioperative areas during the past five years. In 2014, the NPUAP identified the OR as a high-risk environment and devoted a section in its clinical practice guideline to perioperative pressure injury prevention. AORN now provides a Prevention of Perioperative Pressure Injury Toolkit, and the latest update of the AORN, Guideline for Positioning the Patient, describes extensive intervention strategies to prevent pressure injuries. Perioperative Pressure Injury Prevention Program Einstein Medical Center Montgomery, East Norton, Pennsylvania, is a 174-bed acute care facility with 10 ORs and 4 interventional units, the Cardiac Catheterization Laboratory, Endoscopy, Interventional Radiology, and the Electrophysiology Laboratory. Approximately 6,000 operative and other invasive procedures are performed at the facility each year. Our journey toward pressure injury prevention began when a newly hired certified wound ostomy continence nurse, CWOCN, in our facility began to correlate patient histories, for long time in the perioperative environment, and the location of the injuries with at least eight potentially surgery-related pressure injuries in 2014. In early 2015, an interdisciplinary team recognized that complete skin assessments were not part of our protocol at that time and identified a need to shift our focus from treatment to prevention of pressure injuries. The interdisciplinary team operated under the direction of the Chief Operating Officer and the Director of Nursing. The team included senior leaders, for example, Director of Risk Management, Director of Preoperative and Postoperative Services, the Perioperative and Intensive Care Unit Nurse Educators, and point-of-care staff members from the pre-, intra-, and postoperative areas and interventional and critical care units. Additionally, the CWOCN and members of the wound care team joined to close the gap between the perioperative phase and discharge. Perioperative Pressure Injury Prevention Bundle The AHRQ identifies bundled interventions as one of the components of best practices for pressure injury prevention. The interdisciplinary team designed an evidence-based pressure injury prevention bundle that includes skin and risk assessments throughout the perioperative period, protection of all at-risk skin with protocols and products, communication of risk and injury throughout hospitalization and with leaders, 
comprehensive initial and annual staff member education, routine compliance audits, and follow-up with the wound care team. See sidebar 2. This bundle of interventions were specifically designed to protect surgical patients throughout their hospital stay. Understanding that systematic routine application of the intervention bundle would require electronic health record, EHR, triggers, the interdisciplinary team worked with the information technology team to embed the bundle of interventions as hard stops in the appropriate places in the perioperative record. Pre- and post-operative documentation screens cue the nurse-driven bundle of interventions. The preoperative high-risk skin bundle prompts are tasked to the preoperative nurse to complete when the patient is admitted. The post-operative high-risk skin bundle prompts, see Figure 1, are tasked to the post-anesthesia care unit nurse to complete as soon as the RN circulator documents the time the patient left the OR. The bundle was initiated in February 2015. After educating staff members, the interdisciplinary team fully implemented the bundle in August 2015. Skin and Risk Assessments The AORN, Guideline for Positioning the Patient, recommends conducting a skin assessment to evaluate factors that increase risk of pressure injury, including decreased turgor, cold temperature, and diminished peripheral pulses to establish a baseline for comparison postoperatively. Nurses at our facility now conduct a full head-to-toe skin assessment on each patient pre- and postoperatively and document any areas of redness or injury. They also assess all OR, endoscopy, and interventional laboratory patients for pressure injury risk using the Braden Scale for Predicting Pressure Sore Risk because it is the scale used throughout the rest of the hospital. Patients scoring below 16 on the Braden Scale are considered at risk. One study determined that the risk of pressure injury occurrence increased 58% with each decreasing unit on the Braden scale. Approximately 25% of our patients are found to be at risk of pressure injury before undergoing an operative or other invasive procedure. The preoperative nurses treat compromised skin prophylactically by applying a five-layer soft silicone-bordered foam dressing to skin abnormalities, minor trauma areas, and injuries. For example, abrasions, skin tears, existing pressure injuries. Preoperatively, to protect patients from pressure or shear on these areas during the procedure. See Figure 2. The nurses communicate a patient's risk status throughout the perioperative period and during handovers to the receiving unit RN, both verbally and using visual indicators, such as flagging the EHR and using color-coded bouffant caps. Blue is the standard cap color. A green cap, see Figure 3, on the patient indicates he or she is at high risk for pressure injury. Risk and skin assessments are routinely communicated during patient transfer, and the visual alerts bridge the gap if handover communication is lacking or absent. Pressure, shear, friction, and moisture. Protecting at-risk skin from pressure injury involves reducing pressure, shear, and friction, and managing moisture. In accordance with the NPUAP recommendations, nurses place patients in a position that is different from the surgical position during preoperative and postoperative care. For example, if a patient will be in supine position during his or her procedure in the OR, the preoperative nurse may place the patient in lithotomy before the procedure 
to minimize the amount of time the patient experiences pressure on any given area. Perioperative personnel use an air-assisted lateral transfer device to move all patients with a body mass index greater than 36 to and from the OR bed and to move or boost patients in the postoperative phase to prevent shear. The AORN, Guideline for Positioning the Patient, recommends placing perioperative patients on surfaces that redistribute pressure and reduce the potential for pressure injury. According to the guideline, perioperative patients should be placed on high-specification reactive or alternating pressure support surfaces before and after surgery, if possible. Our standard OR bed surface is a 3-inch foam mattress pad. Bariatric patients are placed on a 4-inch foam pad. At our facility, the preoperative nurse assesses the need for an alternative support surface and consults the CWOCN about the patient. The nurse then orders the alternative support surface if applicable. The perioperative nurse places gel overlays, that is, body-length gel pads, on top of the mattress pad to help cushion bony prominences, for example, heels, sacrum, and decrease pressure while the patient is in the surgical position for an extended period of time. Towels, sheets, and blankets should not be used as positioning devices because they may increase pressure, contribute to friction injuries, and decrease the pressure redistributing properties of the support surface. Pillows and foam shapes are still commonly used for positioning and cushioning bony prominences at many facilities. However, the AORN, Guideline for Positioning the Patient, does not discuss the use of pillows for pressure redistribution purposes, stating that, notably, pillows provide only a minimal amount of pressure redistribution. The NPUAP notes that pillows may compress and lose their shape over time, becoming ineffective for offloading pressure. One study found that caregivers documented the use of pillows or foam pads for intraoperative positioning for 86.2% of patients who developed a perioperative pressure injury. Best practice guidelines caution that donut and horseshoe-shaped positioning devices create areas of high pressure. After a patient sustained an unstageable occipital pressure injury with the use of a foam donut-shaped device, we changed our policy to incorporate use of a fluidized, that is, not fluid but functions like one, positioner, see figure 4, to reduce pressure on the occiput for procedures lasting more than four hours. Foam tends to spring back, causing higher stress on scalp tissue. However, fluidized positioners are made of viscoelastic materials with memory properties that conform to the unique contours of each patient's head and maintain that shape. Fluidized positioners provide effective immersion and envelopment, increasing the surface area for pressure redistribution and reducing pressure on a single area. They also can be molded to protect the patient's skin from medical devices. The AORN, Guideline for Positioning the Patient, recommends using prophylactic dressings on areas at risk of developing a pressure injury. Dressings redirect forces to wider areas, minimize the mechanical loads placed on skeletal structures, and absorb and displace shear forces outside the dressing area. A 2016 meta-analysis of 25 studies found a significant relationship between the use of prophylactic silicone foam sacrum and heel dressings and the reduction of pressure injury incidents in critically ill patients. Use of a five-layer soft silicone-bordered foam dressing reduced perioperative pressure injuries in cardiothoracic surgery patients 
by 16.7%, and in patients undergoing elective vascular surgeries, by 9%. Prophylactic dressings should be sized according to the manufacturer's directions to maximize effectiveness, applied in a single layer to prevent additional pressure and shear, and replaced if they become damaged, displaced, loosened, or moist. When selecting a prophylactic dressing, the NPUAP recommends considering v. 1. Anatomical location where the dressing will be applied. 2. Ability of the dressing to manage microclimate. 3. Ease of application and removal. 4. Ability to remove it without damaging the skin. And 5. Ability to regularly assess the skin. For example, dressings with soft silicone borders can be easily lifted up for skin assessment. The material and construction of a dressing determines its effectiveness as a preventative dressing. Independent movement of the dressing layers on the horizontal plane is critical to the ability to absorb shear. A low-resistance backing is needed to reduce friction and prevent skin from being held in place while deeper tissues deform. Moisture and microclimate management also is a distinguishing attribute of effective prophylactic dressings. Our perioperative nurses now apply a five-layer soft silicone-bordered foam dressing, see Figure 5, to patients' sacra and heels for procedures lasting more than three hours. The dressing we use has an anisotropic middle layer that provides additional protection from vertical shearing forces, for example, sliding in a fowler's position, and allows for tissue flexibility in the horizontal direction. It also absorbs moisture and wicks it away from the skin, and has a breathable backing layer so that moisture can evaporate, preventing accumulation and skin damage from perspiration. Perioperative nurse leaders should consider the level and quality of evidence supporting different types of dressings before selecting the best dressing for HAPI prophylaxis at their facility. Postoperative Surveillance and Continued Education On the patient care units, Wound care team surveillance plays an important part in our prevention program. The wound care team receives a daily report of high-risk patients based on OR triggers, clinical documentation inquiry, that is, coding, low albumin levels, existing pressure injuries, Braden scale scores less than 16, or point-of-care skin assessments. If consulted or flagged as high-risk, the wound care nurse sees the patient at least once postoperatively to assess his or her skin integrity and develop a plan of care as needed. The frequency of follow-up depends on the assessment. Additionally, patient care associates look for areas of skin color change while repositioning the patient routinely every two hours and report any areas of concern. The inpatient unit RN completes a head-to-toe skin assessment each day. To ensure success of the bundle, comprehensive interdisciplinary pressure injury education occurs during new employee orientation and at least yearly thereafter. Outcomes of the Pressure Injury Prevention Program After we fully implemented the bundle in August 2015, we began to track perioperative pressure injury incidence rates to measure performance improvement quantitatively. The perioperative nurse educator in the CWOCN conducted an RCA of each pressure injury incident and initiated EHR audits to assess compliance with the new protocol and clinical outcomes. In 2015, there were eight perioperative pressure injuries at our facility, see Figure 6, 
five occurred before the bundle was implemented. In 2016, there were four perioperative pressure injuries, and they were all located on the heel. Subsequently, we added the heel prophylactic dressing to the bundle. Two perioperative pressure injuries occurred in 2017. The first was an unstageable occipital pressure injury that occurred as a result of the use of a donut-shaped foam head device, prompting the addition of the fluidized head positioner to the bundle. The second was a stage 4 sacral pressure injury. The nursing care documentation for the patient who developed the sacral injury indicated the patient refused to be repositioned postoperatively, which likely contributed to the development of the HAPI. There were no perioperative pressure injuries from July 2017 through June 2019, the time of final data submission for publication. Our EHR audits indicate ongoing staff member compliance with the prevention bundle, which has likely helped sustain a zero incidence of perioperative pressure injuries for this two-year period. Based on the published estimated annual treatment costs for HAPIs according to stage, treatment costs for perioperative pressure injuries at our facility from January 2015 to July 2017, are estimated to have been $318,684, indicating a substantial savings for the facility during the two-year period with no perioperative pressure injuries. Evaluation of the Pressure Injury Prevention Program Our program was successful because it began with leader support. Although they were not members of the core team, we kept physician leaders, that is, surgeons, anesthesia professionals, informed throughout the planning and implementation stages of the program. An important part of gaining support from leaders is measurement of quality indicators. The AHRQ tracks HAPI rates as patient safety quality indicator for acute care facilities. Some facilities use HAPI prevalence audits to track and report trends. However, Pressure injury prevalence audits are only a snapshot in time conducted every month, quarter, or year. If a HAPI occurs between audits, it is not counted. Therefore, incidence rates are a more accurate representation of HAPI occurrences. One review found hospital-acquired incidence rates were 60% greater than known prevalence survey rates. In 2015, our wound care team began tracking the incidence of HAPIs and reporting all perioperative pressure injuries to perioperative nurse leaders. Reporting incidence rather than prevalence rates helped communicate the threat of HAPIs to facility leaders and gain their support for preventative interventions. Balancing surgeon satisfaction with patient safety interventions was sometimes a challenge. The perioperative nurses had to assert themselves and take the time needed to position patients safely even when they felt pressure from the surgeons to speed up. The support of nurse and physician leaders is essential to empower nurses to speak up with confidence. No bundle can effectively keep patients safe if staff members do not implement its components consistently. We began requiring perioperative nurses to audit compliance with the prevention bundle in August 2015 as part of their professional excellence program. Initially, they audited the charts of all high-risk patients and used deficiencies as a teaching tool to reinforce aspects of the bundle. After three months of bundle compliance, we scaled back the audits to 10 patients per month. Perioperative nurses report the audit results to the surgical team and share them at monthly staff meetings. When deficiencies are noted, peer-to-peer teaching occurs. Audits and the resulting feedback to staff members are crucial components for sustained bundle success.
Implementing quality improvement practices effectively requires knowing how to measure quality of care, compare one's own practice with the best practice of others, and design and test care interventions. Our journey has been a continual process of data collection, incidence tracking, communication, compliance audits, RCAs, and implementation of best practice recommendations to improve patient safety. Conclusion Hospital-acquired pressure injuries are costly for both patients and the facilities in which they occur. Interventions that are specifically designed to mitigate intrinsic and extrinsic perioperative risk factors can help prevent HAPIs from occurring as a result of operative and other invasive procedures. Although implementation of pressure injury prevention guidelines can be difficult and complex, pressure injuries decreased by 100% within two years of the full rollout of our perioperative pressure injury prevention bundle, and we have maintained a zero incidence rate of perioperative pressure injuries since that time. Sustained compliance with this nurse-driven preventative protocol, as substantiated by documentation audits, is an indication of a hospital culture that prioritizes patient safety. The perioperative pressure injury prevention bundle has been an effective tool in improving patient safety at our facility.